have your Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to a familiar passage of Scripture. Psalm 23. You may remember I preached from this once before. But uh, here we are again. Um, I'm going to do this in two parts today. One part of this morning, second part of this evening. Well, I'm going to talk about how the Lord is my shepherd. And I know that's my name. I know there's jokes that go along with it. And the profession that I have. <laughs> Everywhere I go, every time I see Brother Man, he says it. Oh, <laughs> the good shepherd. But... Honestly, I'm not that good. <laughs> I'm still learning. I know I make people upset from time to time, but there's only one good shepherd, and his name is Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's pray together again. Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you for your presence that's here. God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray let your will be done today. I pray speak to us in Jesus' name. God, move in our midst, I pray. God, call us closer to you in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, for what you're doing. Continue to work, I pray. Don't let me get in the way of what you want to do and say in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated if you'd like. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to talk about that this morning. And this evening, we're going to talk about the second part of the verse, I shall not want, which doesn't seem like a lot of things, but there's a lot in there. Anyway, so the Lord is my shepherd, and the first thing we need to establish when we talk about this is who is the Lord? The Lord is my shepherd. We say that, but who is he? You know, he's Jesus, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's God Almighty. That's who the Lord is. And sometimes our view of him is small. It's a little abstract. We don't quite fully grasp who he is is completely, and I don't know if we ever will until we see him face to face. I don't know if we'll ever fully grasp who he is. And sometimes we get little glimpses of who he is. And most of the time we don't really, don't really grab a hold of it. And there's times in our lives, maybe through trials or situations and things that happen, we maybe get a, a glimpse of who he is. Um, through tragedy, sometimes we, we see him in a new light or through... A sickness, we, we come to know him as our healer or whatever, but sometimes, sometimes we get little glimpses, but most times we don't really fully grasp who he is, and we hear about him, we talk about him, we read about him, but we have knowledge of who he is, but we don't always have the revelation of who Jesus is. And knowledge, which is mind-blowing information today, knowledge is just knowledge, just facts and information. You can read and you can learn all the stuff there is to know, but a revelation changes how we view and how we see these facts. You know, I can know that he's my healer, but until I experience that, it's just knowledge. But once I live through it, it becomes something real to me. And if we honestly have a grasp or a revelation of who he is, we will never be content just to come to church. And just sit. We'll never be content not to engage in worship. But if we ever have a revelation and we honestly grasp who 
he is, we will pray more, we will read his word more, we will want to be in his presence as much as possible. And one of our problems, myself included, is we have too much knowledge and not enough revelation. We understand who he is in our head, but you know, we have the doctrine, we have stories, we have history, we have testimonies, we have all these things, we know everything that there is to know. But if we don't get it from our head to our heart, we're not going to get it. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1, he said, Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. Another version said, The knowledge makes us arrogant, but love edifies. If we just have knowledge, it goes to our heads. You know, we think that we're better. We think we, we know more. And maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe we do know more than others. But without love, that just makes us puffed up. And arrogant. We need a love and we need a revelation of who he is. And once we get a hold of that, we're not going to be content with the way things are. And the Bible, when we read through it, it shows us who God is. It shows us who our, our shepherd is. And as we read it, as we study it, it gives us you know, glimpses of who he is. And it's incredible that this God Almighty, the creator of the universe, would love you would love me as individuals. It's mind boggling when we think about it, all the things that he created. Now, sometimes when you go out at night and you look up at the stars, maybe. I don't know if I'm the only one, but it's just so big. And I'm not. And the fact that the same God that made all of that, those little old, foolish, ridiculous me, that's mind-blowing to me. I know we know that, but once, you know, sometimes we, we, we experience it and we feel you know, it comes from our head to our heart. And the more we learn, the more we know about Him, the more our relationship with Him matters. And He becomes our shepherd, He becomes our healer, He becomes our friend, He becomes our father, or our rock, or our shelter, depending on what we're going through, depending on what's happening in our lives. You know, we come to know Him more. And was, David wrote this Psalm 23. David was a shepherd. You know, we know that. And he, he took care of his father's sheep. And he wrote this Psalm, but not as a, not from the view of a shepherd, but he wrote this as a, from the viewpoint of a sheep. And as you read it, you can get this sense of pride in who his shepherd is. He's proud of the fact that the Lord is my shepherd. He's basically boasting. He says, look at who my shepherd is. Look who is in control. Look at who my manager is. Look at who is you know, in charge of my life. God himself, God Almighty, the one that created everything is in control of my life. He is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And there's a sense of pride in who his shepherd is because a sheep's life or the lot in life of a sheep is greatly dependent upon who their shepherd is. You know, some shepherds are kind and, and gentle and, and smart and, and brave and selfless like David was. David killed a lion, killed a bear to save his sheep. Not a lot of people would do that, but David did. Some shepherds are like that. Some are willing to go the extra mile, willing to do whatever for the sheep. And with that kind of a shepherd... The sheep grow and they flourish and they thrive and they become healthier and their wool's better and the meat, if you eat them, is better. You know, everything, their lives are better, they're happier, and they, they produce better lambs. Everything's better, they, 
They flourish and they thrive with a good shepherd. And there's others that are the opposite of that. There's other shepherds that just don't really care. And I got some sheep and just go, let them go. And that's the opposite. And sheep under that shepherd, they, they struggle. They don't get enough to eat. They're not cleaned properly. They get parasites. They get flies bugging them. They, they don't get enough to eat. They starve. And sometimes they even die. If you want to be a shepherd, here you go. I've got a whole bunch of mind-blowing revelations today. But if you want to be a shepherd, the first thing you need to do in order to be a shepherd is get a flock of sheep. Right? Common sense. You can't be a shepherd without sheep, or else you're just some weirdo out there, the staff talking to nobody. But you need sheep to be a shepherd. You have to get a flock in order to do it. But when you go out, when you go to buy your first flock of sheep, it's not a cheap thing. I don't know how much sheep costs. Michelle could tell you more. Well, I don't know how much they cost. Everybody look at her. She loves it. I can't tell you how much they cost, but I know they're not cheap. And if you're going to buy 100, 200, whatever, a big flock of sheep, you're gonna, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And in order to buy that first flock of sheep, in order to become a shepherd, it takes money that you have to earn. There's blood and sweat, tears that go in to buying this first flock of sheep to becoming this shepherd. Shepherds literally would pay with their body. They would work and they would save up and they would do odd jobs and all this stuff and maybe they'd take care of other people's sheep. They would do whatever it took in order to get that money to buy that sheep. They had to work for it in order to become a shepherd. So that makes, when you buy these sheep, it makes this special connection to the flock. It makes these sheep more valuable and precious than, than any other animals because there was a price that was paid for them. You know, sometimes we think you just buy, buy sheep, you buy a flock, and you know, that's done, you're done paying for them. But there's other things that happen. There's vet bills. <laughs> there's food that goes into keeping them alive. You know, you're not done paying for the flock once you buy the flock. Having or getting a flock is not a one-time price. From now on, the shepherd that has this flock needs to be willing to lay down his life for the sheep to risk his life to protect them. Again, like David with the lion and, and the bear and the, all the other animals that would come. There's stories of shepherds that would just stay in the field all night because the, the wolves and stuff, they could sense that there was a person there and okay, I'm not going to go bother them. And that's a price you have to pay. It takes work to keep uh, sheep healthy, to keep them alive, to keep them prospering. And growing. So what kind of a shepherd is Jesus? At Calvary, Jesus showed his desire and his plan and his will to be our shepherd, to put him or to put us under his care. Isaiah 53 and 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And we all, like sheep, were just gone astray, wandering, lost in a world of Sin, but Jesus paid a price. Just like any shepherd, when he gets a flock, he has to pay a price to get that flock. Jesus paid the price. He purchased us with his own blood, with his own body. He laid down his life for this flock. 
to set us free from the grip of sin and that the grip that sin and death had on us. And John 10 and 11 says, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He bought us with a price. We're not our own anymore. If the Lord is my shepherd, he has, he has paid a price for that to happen. He's bought us with a price. We're not our own. He's given his life for us. At Calvary, he shed his blood and he died on a cross to make us his. And like David, we can say the Lord is my shepherd because he's done that. He paid a price for us. You may not realize it, but sheep and people have a lot in common. The Bible compares us often. We both have mob instincts. And we'll gang up on somebody. It's safer to be the people ganging up on than the one that's being ganged up on. The sheep will do that. They'll attack another sheep. Uh, we, we can be timid, get fearful easily, yes. sheep spook easily. Um, they're both stubborn. Yeah. I know you, none of you are. Never. <laughs> stubborn. People can be stubborn. Sheep aren't the brightest. I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> sheep are creatures of habit. Same with us. We have a lot in common. The Bible compares us to sheep a lot. But in spite of all of the flaws that we have, in spite of all of our weaknesses, Jesus still chose to purchase our salvation. Jesus still chose to call us, to make us his own, to care for us, to become our shepherd. In spite of all of our flaws and our weaknesses and all the things that make us get frustrated with each other and ourselves, Jesus still loves us. Anyway, and in spite of all that, he still wanted to make us his own. Colossians 1 and 14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Through his blood we are redeemed. Amen. In Galatians 3 and 15, or 13, sorry, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So Jesus paid a price, and he bought our salvation to become our shepherd, to bring us to him, to set us free from the world and the, the sin and the death that we were under. And it's an ongoing thing. And as a shepherd, you're continually laying your life down for the sheep. You're continually stepping in and protecting them from, from lions, tigers, bears, oh my, wolves. Dogs, whatever it is that comes to attack the sheep, you're constantly putting yourself, constantly stepping in and, and protecting ongoing. It's an ongoing thing, ever interceding. And Romans 8 and 34 says that, Who is it that condemneth? Is it Christ that died? Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He's constantly interceding on our behalf. He's constantly coming in and he protects and he... He's on our side. He's still guiding. He's still working on our behalf Amen. as a shepherd. Yeah. And I'm reading a book about this sort of stuff because I'm, I know I have the name, but I don't know everything about shepherding. I've never had sheep. I would love to, but I'm not allowed here. Amen. The town is against it, so maybe someday. Just, just to stop the jokes. Do you have any sheep? Yes, actually, I do. Oh. Okay, then. <laughs> but I'm reading a book about this, and it, it's written 
from a, a, a shepherd in northern Africa. Uh, he's, he goes through the Psalm 23, he, he dissects it, and he's, so he's a shepherd in the same kind of area that David would have been, and the same kind of climate that David would have had, and had the same kind of experiences. Shepherding hasn't changed much over the years. Sheep are still sheep. Amen. You still need fences. They still need to eat the same thing. Um, so he has a lot of the same experience. Because we think about shepherds and pastures and stuff, we think, you know, where we are. Rolling green hills. You think of like Scotland and Ireland, those beautiful green hills, all kinds of grass and stuff. But this is like the Middle East. Grass doesn't grow very easily. You know, the green pastures that he talks about, there's a lot of work that went in those green pastures. He had to make sure that grass grew. It wasn't just, oh, here's some pastures. Go eat. You know, there's a lot of work that goes in it that we don't think of. And this, this guy in the book, he tells a story about his neighboring shepherd. And this guy didn't care about his flock as much as this guy that wrote the book did. And the other shepherd just did a bare minimum. And we all know people that do that. But this other guy's sheep, they were always thin and, and weak and always had diseases and parasites. And the grass that they had to eat was, was brown. It was withered. It wasn't watered. It wasn't well taken care of because, you know, in that area, grass doesn't grow very, very well. It takes work to have those pastures. And he would, you know, they had a fence that separated his, his land from his neighbors. And the, the neighbor's sheep were always at the fence looking to those greener pastures on the other side. Well, the grass actually was greener in this case. Well, the sheep would just stand at the fence and they would look over at his healthy, taken care of sheep. And these other ones were sick and, and skinny and didn't have good food. And they just looked miserable. All because they had a different shepherd. All because they had somebody else ruling their lives. And like people in the world that are living under a different shepherd, he compares them to and it's a shepherd that doesn't care about their well-being, a shepherd that doesn't care about their safety or their health. Because the world does not care about your soul. The world does not care what happens in eternity. It's you know, you can have fun now and pleasure now and forget about the next thing. The world doesn't care. Sin does not care. The devil, you know, he does not care about right now. He's not a good shepherd. The Bible says there's two. You can, there's only two masters. Sin doesn't care. It'll chew you up and spit you out. And there are people that are afraid to let God take control. They don't realize how much better it is. Those sheep didn't realize how much better the other sheep had had it because of the shepherd. Who your shepherd is matters. So if I say the Lord is my shepherd, I need to let him lead me. I let, need to let him be my shepherd. That means doing things I may not want to do sometimes. Right. means doing things, going places I may not want to go. I need to let him lead me. It's necessary for him to do that yeah. if he's going to be my shepherd. Proverbs 3 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. You need to trust in him and let him lead us, let him guide us, let him you know, show us where he wants us to go. A sheep trusts the shepherd. 
And if he is our shepherd, we need to trust him. We need to obey him, or we should. There's a lot of times, a lot of people who, who want to be in the flock, but they don't want to do what the shepherd wants them to. A lot of people want to, the benefits of a good shepherd without the cost. They want to be in the flock, but they want to do what they want to do. They want the good things, the blessings, that the cost of following him. Matthew 16 and 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And when we follow him, when we follow the good shepherd, we're not following us anymore. If I follow him, I'm not following me anymore. I'm not following my wants, my desires, my ideas, my plans, my goals, my dreams. That doesn't matter anymore. If I'm following him, I take up my cross, willing to die, and I follow him wherever he leads me. If he is my shepherd, I need to be following him. Because if not, he's not my shepherd. He didn't say, pick up your cross and follow me when you feel like it. He didn't say, pick up your cross and follow me if you like where I'm going. He didn't say, pick up your cross and follow me if it feels good. He said, just follow me. And if he is our shepherd, that's what we need to do. If all I do is trust and rely on me, myself, and I, my knowledge, what I think or whatever, then I am not following him. If all I'm doing is relying on myself, I am not following Jesus. If I, if I trust and rely Sorry. If I trust him and I don't rely on myself, I don't rely on what I know anymore, and if I lean on him, he's going to direct me. He's going to lead me where he wants me to go. Sometimes when I travel, I will use a GPS system, which is redundant because that's what the S means. But I'll use GPS in the car, and I don't always know where I'm going. And sometimes... It will lead you down weird roads. Because the GPS doesn't know if uh, the road's paved or not. If it's in use anymore. Especially if your car is older or you're whatever. Sometimes it will lead you down weird ways and you say, hey, you know, that's, this, looks, this looks weird. This isn't the right way. And we want to go our own way instead. There's some sort of trust that goes into following it. Um, one time last year, we went to visit my friend uh, Jerome. He lives in Richmond Hill, which is on the other side of Toronto from where um, my family's from, in Brockville area. So we went to visit him, and then we were coming back to the Brockville area to meet up with my family for a dinner. And we went on the head before of everybody. And normally, to get from you know, Toronto to Brockville, you just hop on the massive highway, 16 lanes or whatever it is, and just go as fast as traffic will allow. You know, I knew how to get there, but I decided to use the GPS, and this time it took us on some weird roads, back roads. And I saw things I didn't know existed in that area. These huge farms, like just... <coughs> 10 minutes outside Toronto, I didn't know those were there. That's pretty wild. These huge farms and all this stuff. We went on these roads and went through back areas and I've never heard of. And we were like, I don't know. 
where we're going. It was a little frightening. But we trusted it and we went. And sure enough, it took us around all the traffic, which is a miracle. It took us around all of, we didn't have to stop and wait for 20 minutes to go ahead. And the kids say, oh, what's going on? So it's constantly moving, which is very helpful when you have children. And it took us around, took us through all that traffic. Took, we had became on the highway around Belleville or Kingston or something, and then it was just a straight shot. Not as much traffic there. It was wonderful. But if I would have said, hey, I'm just going to go the other way because I know I would have been stuck in a traffic jam. I don't know if I've ever been stuck in a traffic jam outside Toronto. It's not fun. And everyone's cutting you off at a very slow pace, which is even more aggravating than a fast pace. Because you see it coming, there's nothing you can but the traffic, when we skipped all that, the GPS led us. And sometimes we have to trust, trust it. And I followed it anyway, and sure enough, we made it. And we cut a bunch of time, and we cut a bunch of traffic. But that took trusting. And when we are following Jesus, we need to trust him to where, and trust that he's going to lead us where he wants us to go. And that's part of being a sheep. I'm not saying always trust your GPS. Sometimes it's crazy. A part of being a, a sheep and following a shepherd is trusting the shepherd where he's leading. That's part of being a sheep don't decide. There's not a poll. The shepherd doesn't say, okay, we're going to vote. Where do you want to go today? Where do you want to eat? What pasture would you like to go to today? What time would you like to, to leave? And he doesn't do that. Sheep don't decide. They don't choose what they're going to eat, where they're going to eat today, where they're going to walk, where they're going to go. If we're following him, he's going to lead us wherever he wants us to go. Amen. I don't get to decide anymore. If he's my shepherd, he does. He's the, he's the shepherd. He's the boss. He's in charge. And we need to stop fighting him. We need to stop fighting the shepherd and let him lead and let him be the shepherd. And stop telling God where you, you will go, what you will do. I'll do this, God, but I'm not going to do that. I'll go here, but I won't go there, just let him lead. Jesus is gentle and tender. He's love, he's true. But he's also righteous and he's tough on fakes. And Jesus set people free wherever he went and they loved him because of it. And that's who our shepherd is. Jesus uses a parable of, of a shepherd with lost sheep to explain his love for us and his purpose. Matthew 18 and 12, he said, How think ye if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? He said, If a man loses a sheep, even though he has ninety-nine more, is he not going to go after that one? And Jesus is like that shepherd. He's looking. If a shepherd loses a sheep, he leaves all the others in a safe place, and he goes and he looks and he uses every resource available. He calls the, the sheep's name. He gets a flashlight out. He gets the neighbors to help. He puts up flyers like my mother was here and Boots was missing. If you remember that. Does whatever, puts an ad on Facebook or Kijiji or whatever it is. He just does whatever necessary to find that sheep. He climbs over mountains and hills and rivers and goes through brooks and Swamp, whatever he goes, whatever it takes to find that sheep. Amen. And Jesus is looking for you today. 
And he's willing to use any resource available to speak to you, to find you. My grandparents, they, they used to go to another sort of church. And they, they didn't, they felt like there was something more. And she was just listening, my mother, my grandmother was there, was just listening to the radio and a song came on. It wasn't even a, a Christian song as far as I know. But it was like, this is all there is to that. And she was just praying. She said, God, is this all there is to life? This is all there is. And he spoke to her through this, not even a Christian song as far as I know. But he used that to stir something up in her. And the next couple days later, the pastor came by, knocked on the door, and invited her to church. And the rest is history. But he's looking for you. He's willing to use any resources available. It could be a song. It could be, could be a preacher. It could be the word as we read it. It could be a memory that we have. Whatever is necessary, he's using to try to speak and try to draw us back. My wife could come, please. When you get a, a flock of sheep, one of the first things you do is you mark those sheep. They used to take a, a knife and they would cut uh, notches or a pattern in the ear of the sheep permanently to, to let everyone else know whose sheep these were. To let everyone know that this was your sheep. And Jesus is our, our shepherd and he does the same sort of thing. And there's a mark. In the Old Testament with the, the Jewish people with Abraham there was a covenant and they were marked by by circumcision in the New Testament, it was it's baptism. Colossians 2, verse 11 to 14 says, In whom ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, have, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took, a, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So through baptism, we take on this, this mark. He marks us. If we belong to him, we are marked and we bear his name. We are different. We belong to him. We exchange our old life for new. Like those sheep that were on the, those sick, skinny sheep that wanted to come to the green pastures on the other side of the fence. When we come to him, he brings us into his, his side. We exchange our old life for new. And some people say and quote, the Lord is my shepherd. They live opposite. You can go to just about any funeral that I've been to. They read Psalm 23. And people say this all the time. The Lord is my shepherd. But if we don't live that way, is he really? If we don't let him lead us like sheep, is he really our shepherd? We can say it all we want, but we need to live it. You can't live both ways. You can't. Say, the Lord is my shepherd and live 
from the things of the world or you can't live both ways it's one or the other so the question you're supposed to end every sermon with a question so the question today is do I belong to him is he my shepherd Jesus has paid the price and he wants you he's looking for that one sheep maybe you were in the flock and you've wandered a bit he's looking maybe you were never there he's always looking to expand the flock he's paid the price he wants you and he's looking so do you today want to be part of his flock do I belong to him is he my shepherd